Hello, wonderful humans. Welcome back to the TFC Audio Project. On this episode of Nerd Talk, my guest is Mark Sherifinsky Jr. Mark's a physician, he's a foot nerd, and he's got a great running story that he shared during our conversation. We talk about the foot nerd program, using movement to enhance learning, potential solutions to the health problem, and we finish with a chat about key habits that he implements on a daily basis. This was definitely one of my favorite conversations to date on the podcast, and I hope that you all enjoy it and find the content useful. This episode of the show is brought to you by our family of partner companies listed at thefootcollective.com who have each offered discounts or free gifts to our community at TFC and also support TFC by helping to fund the development and hosting of TFC app. We've developed relationships over time with brands that are doing awesome work and who align with TFC on the mission to create products that are good for your health and good for the planet. If you check out thefootcollective.com and click on the partner companies tab, you'll see a list of brands that offer you discounts And by purchasing using the links or the codes listed on that page, it helps us keep TFC app free and evolving without ever having to load it up with ads. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by the Roasters Pack. If you're into coffee, this company offers a great subscription service that delivers you fresh beans to your door each month, along with the story behind each of the craft roasters that the beans come from. Check out theroasterspack.com, use the code FOOT at checkout, and you'll get seven bucks off your first month. Last but not least, this episode is sponsored by our travel partner, Nanook Protective Hard Cases, which we use to transport gear to and from seminars and workshops. They make super high quality hard cases in Canada that keep your electronics safe during travel. And you can check out their stuff at nanuk.com, nanook.com. That's it for sponsors. Let's dig into this episode. Like I said, it was one of my favorite conversations to date. We get into the weeds on some different topics. Um, Mark is a really articulate, well-spoken guy, and, uh, and I hope you enjoy. It's the TFC audio project hello friends welcome back to the show my guest today on this episode of nerd talk is mark sherifinski jr who's also known as mark underscore ski s-k-i underscore on instagram Uh, mark's a pediatric radiologist from madison wisconsin he's a fan of running he's a member of the foot nerd tribe and he was kind enough to give us some of his time this morning uh, to have a conversation so mark and i spoke last week and we figured it would be great to connect and record a podcast. So here we are. Mark, thanks for taking the time and uh, welcome to the show. Thanks, Nick. It's my pleasure. Um, kind of strange to be on this side of things after listening to, uh, to all the podcasts so far, but um, can't, wait to, can't wait to have a chat. Amen. In all our conversations, I mean, really all that's needed to go on a podcast is to be a good conversationalist. And all of our talks, all of our chats so far um, have just made me realize that you know, I was kind of, I prefer to do podcasts in person because I find you get so much more out of a conversation when you're able to hang out, go for a walk and then record and, you know, get all the nutrients of conversation, body language, intonation, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, under the current situation, it was kind of good. It kicked me in the butt to get these Zoom co- podcasts going, which also allows me to connect with way more people. So I think it's been, uh, it's been good. The audio has been pretty good. So yeah, man, happy to, happy to connect. So Maybe let's start with you just sharing kind of the Coles notes of, you know, who's Mark Sharifinsky Jr., what you're about, what gets you out of bed every morning, uh, and then we can kind of dig into a few topics. Yeah, sure, sure, of course. So, um, so as you said, I'm a, I'm a pediatric radiologist, um, but that's not, uh, that's, not, that's not the first thing that comes to mind when I think about who I am. Um, basically, I am uh, born and raised in Wisconsin, um, so we're, uh, you know, mid- Midwestern people. Um, my wife and I, uh, we, we have three kids, so we have three girls, and, and that's, that's really my, my number one job in life, at least as I, as I see it. Um, they, 
they, they were kind of my reason for waking up every day. And so uh, I got three girls, one five, one two, and the other is uh, about eight months now. And so that's, uh, that, that's been, that's really kind of my, my, I, I say that that's my, my, my most important work to date um, is, is, is being a dad. And so, so that's, uh, that's, that's sort of, again, my, my number one priority. Um, aside from that, you mentioned my work. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a pediatric radiologist uh, in, in Madison right now. I basically did most of my medical training uh, east, of, uh, east of here. So I went to medical school in Pittsburgh and, um, and did my residency training in Milwaukee, uh, Wisconsin, and some fellowship training in Chicago. Had a little uh, cup of tea out in, in Virginia uh, for a year uh, as my first faculty position, and I've been uh, in Madison ever since. Um, and then uh, as, as far as other things kind of related to my work, I'm, although I am a, a pediatric radiologist by training, um, my, my secondary interest within that is, is musculoskeletal imaging. And I'm particularly interested in sports, uh, sports imaging um, and, and orthopedic kind of stuff. And so that, uh, that, that sort of jives with my, with my personal interest as well. You uh, sort of alluded to that I, that I, like, to, I like to run. Um, and so I've been I've been running for probably about 10 years now, um, starting with the end of medical school. And uh, it was kind of a, a stress relief thing at that point, um, kind of evolved into something a bit more competitive uh, for myself anyways, you know, just kind of competing with my, myself and my own limits. And it's something that is uh, furthermore kind of become a lifestyle for me. And so just something that really um, it is another reason I get out of bed. And, and it's actually one of the first things that I do when I get out of bed. Uh, I, I run about six days a week. And so I'm happy to, happy to get into that more uh, whenever, whenever it uh, seems more appropriate. Very cool. Yeah, we'll definitely get into your running story because I really think uh, it's always interesting to know how people came to running. And it's funny, I've actually heard that same story from several different people where going through school, uh, they found running as essentially a form of active meditation to just kind of keep their sanity amidst the chaos that school can sometimes be. And I would imagine, especially so for medical school. Um, yeah. So you're the only guy in the house. Uh, well, almost, uh, we, we do have a dog and so oh, nice. we have, <laughs> we have a, a seven year old black lab. His name is Milton. And so he's nice. my, he, he's, he's, he's my buddy. So he and I are holding it down for the, for the men folk here. Very nice. And is he your running partner as well? He is. He is. Although, um, nice. These days, these days, he's more interested in trails, and so I, I run roads and trails, and so he's he's made it pretty clear to me that he's not so interested in the pavement, um, and he's much more interested in the uh, in the trails, which I, I don't blame him for. That's that's my personal preference as well. But um, but yeah, so he's uh, he, he's he's a good boy, and he, he's he's run a lot of miles with me. Very nice. I know a couple um, other people who are, um, you know, fathers of several children, all of which are girls, and there's this. I don't know how to explain it, but there's this weird aura of those people where they're just way calmer in general. And I think it's just something that you probably, and obviously every family is a little bit different, but you're the only guy in a household um, of girls and, and, and your wife. I mean, it's just, it's probably a different dynamic, something that, um, you know, I listen to Joe Rogan a lot and he's in the same situation. He always just talks about, you know, you just gotta, you just gotta be really easygoing and just be, <laughs> be like this anchor in the sometimes chaotic environment. So um, <laughs> I'm sure that's helped you deal with humans in your line of work as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm working on it. It's a, it's work in <laughs> progress, but I'm, I, I do what I can. 
Nice. Life is, life is a work in progress. Perfection is overrated. You'd be all alone and not be able to relate to anyone. So yeah, anyone that tells you that they got it nailed is like, is either unaware or just kidding themselves. Or they're selling so, you something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, I guess we can start by just talking about the Footner program. So uh, you joined in, which group did you join in? Were you? October. October. Cool. So I guess the first question is what attracted you to the Footner program? I mean, you're obviously a very high level medical professional. What attracted you to the Footner program? And I guess initially, what, what kind of value have you gotten for from it? And where do you uh, kind of see that fitting into your, I guess, professional pathway moving forward. And then, and then we chat about sort of, you know, because since it started, it's kind of evolved and morphed into something very different. And I think it has a lot of potential, but yeah, what attracted you to it in the first place? And, uh, and kind of what have you gotten from it, I guess? I, I think, I think honestly, and this is, you know, it, it, it's going to sound, it's going to sound a little bit silly, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm a foot nerd. Um, and so, and so, and so for me, it, 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 it almost, it, it almost seemed like one of those things that, that just made, it made so much sense. Um, I, you know, when I, when I first saw it, I, you know, so, so I guess I'll preface this by saying that I don't, I don't spend a lot of time on, on social media. I really don't. And, That's and good. the, the few things, the few things that I, that I do follow and that I, uh, that I, that I, you know, spend time or make an effort to, to kind of keep up with are, are things that are, that are really important to me, things that I, that I actually have a, a deep interest in. And, and one of those things for me, you know, is, is just, um, you know, sports stuff, athletic stuff, um, <clears throat> and, you know, sports medicine, that kind of thing. And somehow, some way I came across, uh, the Foot Collective. And when, you know, when, when I, saw just kind of the message that was being promoted when I saw the, you know, the philosophy, the, uh, you know, j- just the overall kind of feel of it seemed very congruent with, with kind of how I've, you know, my understanding and my beliefs and things like that have come to evolve over the years. And, and so when I saw that the foot nerd program was a thing, um, it, it just sort of, it, it almost kind of smacked me in the mouth. Like, wow, this is, this is amazing. Like, this is, there's actually a, a, a forum, a venue, uh, a, you know, a, a collective, so to speak, of, of people who are interested in the same kind of stuff that I am. And obviously being in radiology, being in medicine, you know, I, I, I have a, I, I have to be able to, I have to, I have to be able to have, you know, command of knowledge in, in other areas as well. Um, but, but just from a sort of personal standpoint, this was something that just kind of jumped out to me. It's like, holy cow, this is, uh, you know, th- this is the kind of stuff that I like to read about when I, when I have a chance to, um, you know, to sort of indulge my interest, so to speak. Uh, and, and now there's, there's almost a, you know, an official, an official way to kind of recognize this, um, this area of, of study and this area of interest. And so uh, it, it seemed, it seemed just, I don't know, kind of like a strange coincidence to me that, uh, that, that such a thing existed. And so um, that piqued my interest uh, for, for one thing. Um, another thing that kind of brought me into it, so to speak, is uh, was, was connecting with Jeff, um, Jeff Schub. So, uh, you know, obviously a pretty well-known guy uh, in this, in this community, um, someone else who, who's been through medical training and kind of understands uh, where some of the holes in the current system are. Um, and, you know, just connecting with him and seeing his, uh, his level of commitment and investment in this and, and, and how much value it seems to provide him, um, you know, that, that, was, uh, that was a big endorsement for me as somebody who, again, shares a, a somewhat similar background um, as him. And so uh, that's kind of how it got on my radar. Um, 
I'm sorry, I, I've been I've been rambling. What was the what was the next part of the question? That's all good. And to give context, so you're actually super. I mean, you're on it. I get on those tangents all the time, and I mean, it was really that was perfectly said. And it's really this thing where initially it was a desire to, you know, I look, I kind of saw feet as a big hole in in knowledge, both from what right. I learned in physio school and just in terms of general awareness. Like the pub, the people I was seeing in clinic seem to have this lack of awareness of, of the simplicity of, of what they can do themselves in order to take responsibility for the health of their feet. And I had a couple patients that were like back to back where they had foot pain and their expression of how deeply it affected their lives. You know, one was a runner and the other one was an older lady. And both of them were like, when my feet hurt, I get depressed because I can't do the things I love. And it's literally one of the most debilitating injuries because it just takes away from your ability to to enjoy movement. Like the older lady loved to go on walks. She's like, I can't go on walks because I literally am causing myself pain. So it just kind of hit me that like, I think we can probably create a forum for discussion. Um, and, and even beyond that, let's like, let's create a community of health leaders that all want to evolve our kind of collective knowledge together because it wasn't, you know, it started, I always tell people we started with feet, just like engineers start with the foundation, start there. And then you can kind of build upwards and learn how the rest of the machine works. And it really was just an effort to, to build a sense of community around people who want to do better in, in terms of health, who want to have meaningful discussion, and who also want to challenge each other, right? Like if you have a point of view that's different from mine, I find that as very valuable. And if we can create a forum to have the important discussions where we can thoughtfully disagree with each other without identifying with their argument and trying to prove our point, but just figuring out, okay, let's put these ideas to the test in a non-emotional way and just like find out what, what the truth is right now, what we can determine as being the truth. And, you know, thank you for being part of it because it's, you know, we're over a hundred people now. It's pretty incredible. The type of people we have any, anyone from someone like yourself, who's a, um, a physician all the way to like, we have a dude called the, the unicycling handyman. He's a handyman that goes around on a unicycle in, in Edmonton, I believe. Like, so there's a broad <laughs> range of humans. And Love I it. think that that diversity is actually what makes it really special. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, and, and I guess I, maybe I didn't, uh, I, I, I probably should have set the, set the stage a little bit better for, for what I was saying in terms of my interest in feet. You know, I, I, obviously I didn't just wake up one day and think like, you know, man, feet are fascinating. Like, I wonder <laughs> if there's a, I wonder if there's a, you know, I wonder if there's a foot nerd program out there. Like, you know, for, for me and, and, and I think, you know, we're, we'll probably get to this at some point with the whole running discussion. But, you know, I honestly, my my interest in, in feet and sort of like, you know, functional movements, all of these things, it, it actually, you know, it came from my, my interest in running, um, like so many people, you know, having the classic injuries and all these kinds of things. And then having my background, you know, in, in medical training and, and imaging and things like that, it, it really you know, I started to develop sort of a personal interest in, and it's like, oh, okay, well, I've, this is the injury of the week for me. Like, what does this look like on imaging? What is it, you know, where's the science on this in terms of treatment, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, therapeutic options, rehabilitation, things like that. And, you know, and for me, um, you know, I, I kind of began to realize that, that the feet are sort of where it starts in terms of all these injuries that I was experiencing as a runner that other runners are experiencing. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the simplicity of, of, of what it takes to, to actually, you know, take care of your feet to, to get them, uh, you know, operating and functioning the way that they're supposed to be. 
that 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 goes up the chain um you know in a in a in a figurative and in a literal sense as well and so um that's where the interest started for me and uh you know and where it sort of continues as as a as a healthcare provider so very cool yeah i mean I think the power of community, I, I bought this book called uh, The Power of Collective Wisdom um, and The Downfalls of Collective Folly. And basically it talks about, okay, when you get a bunch of humans together that are either aligned on a certain a goal, what you materialize out of each individual element can have its own strengths and can make its own impact. But when you combine, it's kind of like a neuron, right? A neuron by itself is really just a cell. It doesn't really have any magic to it. It's pretty boring. But when you put a billion neurons together, you get consciousness, you get this emergent thing where it's like, we can't even explain this shit, but it's pretty special. And I think when you get this, um, when you get a group of people that, and, and you even mentioned what drew you to it, something about like, you talked about values or like mindset. And I think there's this underlying thing that sometimes you can feel, but it's hard to articulate, where it says, we agree on the important things like this, these base values. And what we disagree on doesn't really matter because we agree on the big stuff. Um, and I think when you get a group of people that agree on a set of values, you essentially create this super organism that allows for exponential learning where we can learn as a group so much quicker than what we would be able to do individually. And, you know, the goal with the Footner program is just create this sort of decentralized database of information that everyone contributes to, everyone learns from. And, uh, anyway, I'm, I'm grateful that you're part of it and I look forward to where it goes in future because it is, uh, it's been pretty cool to see how it's kind of evolved over time. And, uh, you know, we wouldn't be having this conversation probably if it wasn't for that. So, um, shout out to Urban Barefoot, Jeff Shub. He's a, he's a connector. He's a, yeah, he's an awesome guy. Right on. Yeah. Well, and, and I think a term that, that you've used in the past when we've talked about this whole, this whole process or this whole, um, idea is the, the hive mind, you know, and I, and I think that's exactly what, that's exactly what it is. And, and, and for me, that's another one of the huge values of this is that, you know, I, I know my stuff. I know, you know, there's certain things that I know, there are certain things that you know, there are certain things that, you know, all of us have, you know, some shared knowledge of. But, you know, when you when you talk about, you know, people like myself who are, you know, I, my expertise is in medical imaging, but then you got the guy who's riding his unicycle doing handyman <laughs> stuff or whatever, like there, there's something I can learn from that guy, you know, right. and, and, and hopefully maybe there's something that he can learn from me. And so, um, you know, just this whole, like you said, just uh, the, the hive mind concept is something that I, 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 I find it fascinating. And I think it's brilliant. Yeah, same. And I think there's also just something really powerful about being a health generalist with a specialty, which is kind of why we have really started to dig into the five pillars, uh, you know, movement, sleep, food, the mind and community, and trying to take a much more macro view of health and still sticking to the rare, very um, general principles, like the heuristics that apply to 80% of people uh, that are very general and broad. But if someone knows those heuristics and puts them into, into action, that's kind of all you need to be healthy. You don't need to be perfect. You just have to do the right stuff most of the time. And the right stuff at a broad level is actually super simple. So I really think, you know, instead of us all being specialists, we can all be generalists in the field of health with our own specialty. And I think that's very different from um, sort of the reductionist perspective that I, I feel like the health field is sometimes taking where you're, you know, I've met surgeons before where they're, they're like, yeah, I'm a knee surgeon or I'm a this surgeon and they name a body part. And it's like, th there's nothing wrong with that, but you should still have a broad understanding of where your puzzle piece fits into the whole puzzle. 
Um, and you don't have to be an expert in everything, but there is, I just think there's so much value in being a generalist and having some level of understanding of every realm of health. Because number one, you're a human. You want to be healthy. If you're in the world of health, you should be working daily to be healthy. And I think that's a really powerful aligning kind of value where everyone in this community is like, yeah, we all want to get a little bit better every day. And our experience allows us to kind of see things firsthand. That's a really powerful form of research. And we just, you know, we experience, we learn, we share with others and we compare notes. And that formula is just like super powerful, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 you know, I guess relevant to that and, and particularly relevant to the situation that's, you know, that's kind of going on right now. Um, we, I, I just got out of a, a faculty meeting this morning and one of the things that was being discussed was, <clears throat> you know, was, was how our organization is approaching potential redeployment of, of specialists in this time of, you know, of, of, uh, you know, uncertainty with the whole coronavirus uh, pandemic that's that's affecting all of us and you know what what, what is the potential that we're going to have to be you know working uh, us as radiologists might have to be working in in ICU or in right. uh, you know on a ward or or things like that and so um, you know it really just does come back to what you were describing in terms of you know being a a health practitioner a health uh, you know a, a, a healthcare provider that is a generalist, but also has, you know, potentially an interest or, or a contribution in a subspecialty area. At the end of the day, that's, that's what all of us are. You know, we, we, we end up in our silos in, in radiology or in orthopedic surgery or in oncology or whatever, but we, we all, at least in the American system, train through a common pathway. And ultimately we, you know, we sort of differentiated into our specialties at the end. Um, but we're trained as physicians first and then as a radiologist second or as a psychiatrist second, whatever. Right. And so, um, you know, this, you know, just kind of a reminder of like, Hey, you know, we, we, you know, we, when we got into this, it was our job. We, we, our, our first commitment was to helping people. And after that it was, you know, we, we had the luxury of deciding in which way we preferred to help people. Um, yep. You know, we are now at a time where preferences kind of come secondary to the needs of our society. So uh, that was part of the discussion this morning. And, and I think you, you know, you made a good point with that. Cool. Yeah. And we'll get into, uh, I think it'd be good to dig into your running story next, because I'm really interested to hear about it. But after that, uh, it'll be nice to have a conversation about just at a really like 5,000 mile view, how do we solve, like, what are the big cogs in the health system that need to be changed? Like, how do we solve the health problem basically at a really macro view? So we'll get into that, but let's, let's dig into your running story. And I'd love to hear, you know, when did you get into running? How has your running journey kind of progressed through, because you said you've been running for about 10 years. Um, and, you know, what are the really impactful points that you lo you've learned? I mean, obviously, as someone who has a really uh, profound knowledge of the musculoskeletal system and has also been a runner, probably going through phases of injury, I think you have a really interesting perspective. So what got you into running and what are the big lessons that you've learned uh, along the way that brings you to today? Yeah. So, <laughs> excuse me. Um, so I, I think the, you know, the, the best place to start with it is, is, as I mentioned before, is medical school. So one of the things that, that I, I learned in medical school was, it was that I was a little bit different, um, or at least I thought I was a little bit different uh, than, than most people. It seemed like when, uh, you know, when we were going through stressful times, taking big tests and all these things, most people's response to that, it, it seemed, was to just to study more, you know, to study more, to be, to be more and more dedicated to the, uh, to the material, to stay up late, to, um, you know, 
burn, burn the candle from both ends in terms of studying and, uh, you know, and, and, and focusing on the books. And for me, I, I always found that when, when things were, were really getting difficult, um, I, I did best when I kind of diversified a little bit. And what I mean by that is, you know, I would, I would, you know, go for a bike ride, uh, then I'd study for a while, then I would go for a walk, then I'd study for a while, then I would, you know, play some pickup basketball, whatever. And those that that's just for me, that helped me reset that helped me sort of reincorporate the information. And, and rather than studying for five hours, I felt like I would get more out of studying for three hours and doing something else for two hours. And, and so, you know, what I, what I kept finding, you know, myself going back to was, was just activity. So like I said, one of the things I enjoyed was, was like pick up basketball. Um, but after a while I realized that doing that was kind of dependent on the gym being open and my buddies being available and that kind of thing. And so, so running just sort of emerged as a, as a product of its, of its simplicity and availability. Um, and for me, it, it, it was just one of the things that I had not really thought about as, as a, a pleasure activity, so to speak. I, I grew up like most people playing team sports where running was kind of punitive. Um, you know, if you were running, it's because you did something wrong. Right. And so, and, and so I, you know, it, for me, I, I never really thought about it as something that I could potentially be doing um, by choice or that I enjoyed. Uh, but, but again, once I realized that, you know, actually taking a break from studying, moving around, being physical, that, that actually helped me in it from an intellectual standpoint. Um, it, it just made sense in terms of accessibility and simplicity. And so I how began did you run- come to the, sorry to interrupt. I'm really curious. How did you come to the conclusion that those movement breaks gave you more value than just digging into the books? Like, was that a, was that something that you used to be the person that would really dig into the books? Cause obviously your school career, you know, you've had a lot of practice <laughs> in terms of how right. to absorb information um, right. because the, the, the schooling length for medical school and, and after subspecialty and all that kind of stuff is quite long. So was it something that you experimented with and just reflected on and was like, wow, I went for that run or I went and did some activity and I came back and I just had so much more juice in the tank. Like, how did you come to that conclusion? Was it, or is there even, a, you know, do you even remember when that happened or is it just like kind of a shades of gray where you just kind of gravitated towards that? You know, I, 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 as you as you as you ask about it, I, I think I think it for, for me. So so what it boiled down to was that in in college, you know, at every at every stage, whenever you're in whenever you're in school, I think most of us, you know, that are putting forth a, a, an honest effort, feel like we're we're doing our best. We're working hard. We're we're really you know kind of pushing the edge of of what we're capable of. But but like with most things you know, as you go along and as you, as you push yourself and progress more, you realize that your limits aren't, you know, they aren't what you thought they were. And so for me in, in college, you know, I, I, I was working hard. I was really, um, you know, I was, I was doing the best that I could, uh, but I was very studious. You know, I, I spent a lot of time in the library, a lot of time studying at home, um, doing those late hours and, and that kind of thing. Uh, but when I got to medical school, um, you know, I, 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 in a way, I almost felt like I met my limit. You know, I felt like it was, it was all of a sudden, like, you know, the, the analogy that they use is drinking from a fire hose. Um, and, <laughs> And, and I, and I just, I, I just felt like, okay, like th- th- there's just so much here that I, I really don't know. I, I, I just, I, I don't, I don't know that sitting here and staring at this again is, is, is going to make me understand it anymore. And, right. and it, it, it was almost like a, um, I don't want to say rebellious move, but almost, a 
for me, I think there just came a point where I was like, you know what, this is a ton of information. I think I'm just going to step away for a little bit and maybe let it soak in. And then I'm going to come back and look at it again and see if it makes a little bit more sense. And what I realized was that taking those little bit, those little breaks were that, 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 that in and of itself was very helpful. But if I did something different in the interim, if I did something else with my time, then all of a sudden it, for whatever reason, it seemed to be better, it worked better. And so for me, going and, you know, watching TV for that hour and then coming back and studying, that didn't really, that didn't really do much for me. But if, like I said, if I went and took a walk or if I rode a bike or if I, you know, did something else where I was moving for whatever reason, it just seemed like I was changing gears from a, a mental focus to a physical focus. And then coming back to that mental focus, it just, it, it seems like it allowed things to set, to, 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 to soak in a little bit more in the meantime. And so I don't know if that makes any sense, but for me, I think it just, it, it came from, you know, the, the almost a, a level of frustration where it's like, okay, this is so much damn information that I, I, I honestly don't know if I'm, <laughs> I don't know if I'm doing myself any favors by sitting here bashing my head against the wall, trying to, trying to memorize this stuff. I just need to take a break, you know? And I, and I realized that when I took that break, it actually helped. And when I did specific things during those breaks, it helped even more. And, 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 and so kind of a trial and error process, but eventually I realized that, you know, using my mind and using my body, you know, it, there was a synergy there that, that, that works for me. That makes a whole lot of sense. And it's funny because I've come, to that same conclusion um, and in realizing that, you know, like you need an off season and off season is not just like an annual cycle thing. It can even be a daily thing. Right. right. And if, if you try and, you know, I've had, I've done my best work when I, when I actually feel best. And when I'm just trying to grind through like a, a massive block of work, I don't feel my best and I don't feel as sharp. And something as simple, literally as jumping on a beam, going for a walk, literally just running, going out in a field and running for five minutes is enough to kind of hit the control alt delete button and just reset your mind to reinvigorate your ability to, and you might even go back and consume the same information, but you, it's almost like you have a new brain now. And I think it's so cool. I, I always tell people, I wish the first course I ever took in university was how to maximize your productivity of learning and learning better by doing, by spending less time in a book and more time finding ways to figure out how you actually learn best. Cause everyone learns optimally in a different way and you almost have to figure out your own path. But I think this common underlying principle that movement is a very powerful learning enhancer. Sleep is a very powerful learning enhancer. Like, you hear about all these um, college and university and even medical students now digging into, um, you know, like uh, ADD drugs, like Adderall and stuff like that. It's like, they just got to discover movement. That shit is way more potent and doesn't have any bad side effects. Yeah. And it's cheaper. Yeah. It's way cheaper. So okay. oh, thank you for sharing that story. That's a really powerful story. And I think, um, you know, based on the listenership of people listening to this, I think it'll give, be very insightful to people showing that it's not about working harder. It's not about spending more time on things. It's about, it's about figuring out where you put your focus. And sometimes in order to maximize your focus, you need to have breaks. I realized that I can do about 90 minutes of work straight. After that, anything beyond 90 minutes is like seriously diminishing returns unless I take a break. And it's just, you just got to do it and then review and examine, okay, how did that go? How did that movement break affect 
when I went back and worked. And it's, I think it comes through self-examination. That's the big piece that I think people are listening. They might, they might go out and do some activity and feel real good, but they don't make the connection of, wow, I did that activity and that helped me go back and learn better. So I'm going to try that from now on. So, um, but back to running. So you got into running as kind of a way um, to give yourself that mental break. And then, and then I guess you, and I love what you said too. It's like, usually when you're running, it's a chore. It's, you did something wrong. I could relate to that in rugby in in every sport that I've played. Um, and then what was the moment where you just kind of like bit down on running and you kept up with it? Was there, you know, and how did that go and how did that bring you to today? Yeah. So I, I would, I would say that the, the time or when I, when I, when my relationship with running started to change a little bit from, you know, again, from something that I was doing, uh, just to kind of give myself a break from studying or to, to, you know, to kind of occupy myself or to burn some calories or whatever, you know, whatever other reasons people give for running. I think the, the, the time that it changed was actually, uh, when I, when I, after I had graduated medical school, my wife and I moved back to Wisconsin and actually were staying with her parents for a while um, while I was doing my internship. And we were looking for a house. Uh, my wife, Heather, and I were looking for a house to buy. And, um, and her parents let us, uh, let us stay with them. And, and honestly, you know, I, I think it was more the influence of Heather's dad. Um, her, her dad was, uh, he was, he's the best man that I've ever known. Um, tragically, we, uh, we lost him a few years ago, but, um, he was, he was big, uh, big into running. Um, he wasn't one of these guys that, that, that runs, uh, as a lifestyle per se, but he was always just, he was always doing something active. Um, he delivered newspapers in the morning, you know, at three, four o'clock in the morning, uh, up into his sixties and was, uh, you know, was just always on his feet, always moving, always, you know, he'd say motion is the lotion. And wow, so what an inspiration. That's amazing. He was, he was, he was onto something. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he, he just did, you know, half marathons, marathons, you know, five, five mile races here and there. Uh, just, just because, just because he liked to do things that were hard. And I didn't realize the value of that. I don't think until, you know, until, until several years later, but, um, you know, but it was him who, who kind of got me into running sort of, you know, more seriously, just because I'd see like, Oh, Hey, he's, he's going to go do this half marathon this weekend. You know, I, 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 I can't let, can't let my, you know, can't let the old man show me up. Like I, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta go do the, I gotta go do this too. And right. so, so he, he got me into it. And ultimately I would say that I got much more, you know, more serious about running than, than he ever was. Uh, but it was him who, who sort of planted that seed in my mind that, you know, that this is something that, that you can do hard things. You, you, you can enjoy doing hard things because yeah. they're hard you don't necessarily need much more reason than that. Um, and, and, and so, uh, so for, for me, it was him, I think who got me, who got me started on the whole thing. Yeah. That's a very powerful thing. Um, enjoying doing hard things or finding, um, you know, not in a sadistic way, but finding pleasure in suffering because you know what suffering is going to happen to everyone, whether it's mental or physical at some point in your life. And I think, you know, like I take cold showers on a regular basis and that is not, it's never fun to do. But I know that the reward of having done something hard that is not dangerous for me has massive trickle through benefits in the rest of my day where things are no longer as hard. Things are no longer as scary to do because I've already done hard shit and I've done it on purpose um, for the goal of just building a sense of resilience. And I think he was definitely on to something. Motion is lotion. And I loved how I love how he just was a movement guy. And that's so 
that he's almost like a unicorn in that respect, especially considering his age group. And I just, if more people took that approach, I think we would have a significantly different um, barometer in terms of like health, because it really is, you know, people love to say movement is medicine or, you know, you know, these are all the benefit, the specific benefits of movement. But at the end of the day, like, it's just nutrition going into your body. It's not, doesn't have to be a specific thing, whether it's mental or physical, you're getting a whole lot of good stuff in a non-specific way by just moving. And, uh, and that's super powerful. And so when you're, when you kind of began that different relationship with running and took it a bit more seriously, um, did you face the normal, you know, the standard slew of injuries that most people face? And how did you, you know, based on your understanding of the body, uh, how did that affect how you troubleshot those issues and, and, um, and did it lead to any major insights? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I mean, that short answer. Yes. Yeah. So I, I, I had all the same, uh, all the same problems and injuries and things that, that most people do, uh, when they start running. Now for me though, the, the interesting thing was that the, the, the way that this all worked out timing wise was that it was around the same time that, you know, I started doing my, or, you know, changing my relationship with running around the same time that, uh, you know, that the book born to run came out. And okay. so, and so for me, you know, it, it just so happened that there was a new and sort of emerging interest in minimalist running and that kind of thing right around the same time that my own interest in running was, was, uh, you know, was developing. And so I, I had not actually read that book. I was not, um, I was not sort of, uh, you know, in, in any way invested in the idea of minimalist running for the sake of minimalist running. Um, but it just seemed like I was seeing these, you know, five fingered shoes everywhere and, and, and that kind of thing. And, and it, it intrigued me. And so as a new runner, you know, the idea of like, okay, I'm going to check out these kind of weird looking shoes, you know, like I'm, I'm sort of developing this identity as a runner. I'm starting to think of myself that way. I'm seeing these shoes, these seem kind of cool, whatever. And so I, I actually got into running sort of as a minimalist runner, so to speak. And, and, uh, and yeah, going back to your question, I got all this, all the usual injuries. I had it band syndrome. I remember I ran my first marathon, um, with, with terrible it band syndrome. I, I ran it in a pair of five fingers. Uh, and, and I, I basically kind of peg legged my way all the way through this, uh, through this marathon. And, you know, it was, it was terrible. It was, it was, it was awful. I had spent a lot of time training for it. I was really looking forward to it. And then shortly before the marathon developed the it band issue. And, uh, and it just, it, it just kind of wrecked what, what I was hoping would be a fun victory lap, um, after a long, uh, you know, period of training for my first marathon. Um, and then after that, it was just more the same. Um, I, I had metatarsal stress fractures. I had knee pain. I, I had the usual, just, just all the, all the usual stuff. And, and, um, like many people, I thought, well, maybe it's the shoes, you know, maybe the, maybe these minimalist shoes are, are the problem. You know, there's not enough cushion. Look at all these, uh, you know, other more cushioned standard running shoes out there, you know, though, the, I mean, companies are selling tons and tons of those making tons of money, you know, obviously they must be, they must know what they're doing. Right. And so, um, you know, that's, that's kind of where that transition started from, you know, start an injured minimalist runner to a, uh, to a more experienced, but equally, if not more often injured, uh, runner <laughs> in standard running shoes. And, and, you know, as somebody who was going through medical training and, and somebody who, who likes to think of myself, at least as a, as a, as a rational human being, 
I, I kind of had to start asking some questions and I had to understand or, or, or you know, ask the perhaps the most important question of, you know, what's in common here between all these, all these situations, you know, me as a minimalist runner, I'm injured me as a, you know, standard cushion shoe runner, I'm injured me as a, a maximalist, you know, Hoka style uh, shoe, you know, runner, I, I'm, I'm injured. The, the common thread is me, you know, and so what, what am I, what am I doing here? That's, you know, that, that, that's wrong. And, and what I realized is that, you know, a lot of it had to do with my training, um, or, or lack thereof, you know, just going out there and, you know, and, and, and slogging through miles and, and not, you know, not really being mindful of, of, you know, taking care of my body and, and all these other things. And, and what it boiled down to is that, again, it was, it was me. Um, I was, I was not, uh, I, I was not, I was not taking care of myself and, and, and training, uh, appropriately. And, and so I kind of looked back at the situation and thought to myself, okay, you know, if, if I'm, if the way that I'm running is what's causing me to be injured, then potentially it's not really the shoes. And, you know, and, and when, when was running most enjoyable for me? When did I feel like running was, was, was the most fun? And, and for me, that was at the beginning. Yeah, and it wasn't just the novelty of, of running. It wasn't just the fact that it was new, but the fact that I was running in those, you know, you know, silly looking five finger shoes, like there's just something primal about it. It just felt like it was just running for running sake. It wasn't running for time. It wasn't running for speed. It wasn't running for performance or any type of number that I was looking for. It was just the, you know, the very elemental basic kind of primal, like I said, movement of running. And I looked back at it and I thought, okay, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe there's something to that. Um, but I kind of ignored that because again, you know, as somebody who's invested in the running community, who's become more serious about it now, you know, I'm just thinking like, ah, oh, with all these, you know, maximally cushioned shoes and with their, you know, carbon fiber plates and all these other things, like I, we, we've, we've evolved, we've evolved beyond the five fingers. Right. So, so, so I, I got a, you know, it's an interesting thought experiment, but in the end, like, obviously we, you know, these shoes are selling for a reason. Like, well, we're, 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 we're beyond that now. So the thing that changed my mind about going forward from there was actually an injury that I had, uh, I guess almost four years, four years ago now in, uh, in Virginia. So I was running some trails in Virginia. Anybody who knows who runs uh, trails on the East coast of, of the United States knows um, that they're pretty burly, uh, pretty burly, very technical, uh, lots of rocks, roots, and, 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 uh, and it's always wet. Um, and so I remember there was one run that I went on. Um, I was, I, I had struggled with plantar fasciitis in my right foot for gosh, months, months at the time. And I was on this run and I, I I'll, I'll never forget it. I planted my foot on this wet rock, um, just kind of off camber and tried to sort of bound from one rock to another. Um, and, and mind you, I've been wearing, you know, pretty traditional shoes at this point and some even very highly cushioned shoes at this point. I planted my foot on this rock, tried to bound across sort of a little, a little stream to another rock. And it felt like somebody had taken just, just taken a, a golf club to the bottom of my foot. And I, and it just felt like my foot exploded and I went to the ground in a heap and, you know, I, I could barely walk good. I could barely walk. And, and I, you know, I had torn my plantar fascia. And so, um, I, I, I ruptured my plantar fascia in my right foot and it was 
one of the most frustrating and painful injuries I've ever had as a runner. And like I said, I've, I've pretty much had them all from broken bones to, you know, to soft tissue injuries galore. And, and the thing that was most frustrating about it was that my foot just didn't, it, it felt like my foot was a ghost. Like it, it felt like, the, like a, like a ghost appendage. Like it didn't feel like my foot anymore. And this was after several weeks of, or several weeks, several months of, of kind of rehabilitation and, um, and kind of strength trying to, you know, doing foot strength training and things like that. My, my foot just felt like it didn't even belong to me. Like I'd put my foot in my running shoes. I'd try to start running and it would, it would just feel like I had no control over that foot, almost like I had nerve damage or something. It was very bizarre. And Interesting. what, yeah. And, and what ended up happening for me was that I ultimately put on a pair of, you know, fairly minimal shoes. I think they were like Merrill, uh, Merrill vapor gloves or something like that, that I had lying around that I always used on a rowing machine. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden I realized, holy cow, like my foot, it, it kind of feels normal. Like it feels, it feels like, I don't know, like, like my foot, foot. like this is, <laughs> this is really bizarre. Yeah. And so I, at, at that point it, it was sort of a, a shock to my system and sort of a, a re uh, uh it brought me back to that original concept of like ah remember when running was really fun like when i ran in those minimal shoes yeah i got hurt um but now i'm seeing that i got hurt really bad in a pair of shoes that were not minimal and so again this reminds me of the whole thing of like huh maybe i should you know, is it worth trying that again? Because these feel really good just walking around in and, you know, walking around the house barefoot, like that actually feels pretty damn good too. So maybe I'll just kind of run in, get, you know, try to get back up to speed and running right now with no expectations because I'm hurt. You know, I don't need to worry about my times, my paces, that kind of thing. I'll go back to what I enjoyed before and, and see, see how it goes. And um, that was, like I said, maybe four years ago now. And uh, that's, 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 that's where it's been from ever, ever since. I, um, Dude, that is a yeah. great, you're a great storyteller. That was a, I was literally, I felt like I was visualizing that entire process. And I think I love, uh, I love getting insight to people's thought process. Cause really, I mean, you're, you're a good thinker. You, you take an objective view and you say, okay, these were the variables that were consistent. What changed? What was, what was the, um, consistent variable amongst those, all those things, regardless of shoe, it was my body. And I think it just, you came to the conclusion that how you run is more important than the footwear you wear just by going through the experiments, right? Like literally by trying things, reevaluating and just putting reps in and seeing, okay, well, what changed here or what feels good? And I love that you just came back to no expectations, just run because I feel like running and don't do it as a means to an end, but do it because I intrinsically want to reconnect with the joy of running. And I think that's super, super powerful for people to hear because I really think runners begin running because something attracted them to it, right? The feeling they got when they were running made them feel great. The runner's high. You get all these, all these essentially drugs pumping through your brain. It's your body's way of saying you're doing something good. Keep doing it. And so they get that. But then somewhere along the way, I feel like a lot of runners, uh, well-intentioned, but kind of misdirected, develop this quality kind of goes to the side and it's quantity. It's, I need to train more. I need to improve my times. And it's almost like when the teeter-totter switches, when running turns into work, instead of something that's intrinsically enjoyable, it kind of screws things up a little bit. 
And I think not enough people reconnect with just kind of recalibrating that meter and getting back to, I'm going to run today because I feel like running, not because I, I have to run. Um, and I think that's a really, there's a really profound lesson in that, that, um, for other runners to hear, because I think a lot of people, I mean, 75% of runners will get injured and, you know, people are like, well, what's the best shoe for running? It's like, well, let's talk about how you run first, because you know, how you run is the most important footwear can change how you run. Uh, but at the end of the day, how you move is the most important thing. And, and I, I'm starting to tell people like, what you do when you're not running is actually the most important thing for your running because that determines what access to mobility, what access to movement patterns you have when you're running. And so it's, yeah, it's a, it's interesting. And I, I, I'm not a runner. I don't do distance running, but I've started to love running. And I tell people I don't go for a run, but when I go somewhere, I run places. <laughs> so if I have to go to the grocery store, I'll just run there <laughs> with the bag. And I really, I see it as this very elegant yet extremely complex movement challenge of, because sometimes I'll hit little patches where it's like, wow, this feels effortless. It feels like there's no impact on my body. My breathing is great. I'm not even getting out of breath. So it's like the feedback, if you're really mindful of how you feel when you're running and you really tune into that, you can essentially self-correct your technique to find the most efficient way to run, which also, you know, the most efficient way to run is also the way that prevents injuries. It's also the way that makes you perform at the highest level. So it's all, you know, efficiency takes into account both performance and injury prevention, which is kind of the beauty of it. And I think when you go full minimal or, you know, people always like, Oh, should we run barefoot? Well, you don't have to run actually barefoot, but if you wear a shoe that lets your foot function like it's barefoot, it's kind of, that's really what we're trying to get across. And when you do that, it doesn't actually let you do a lot of the shitty things that people tend to start doing when they wear cushioned shoes. So it's just, it kind of limits you to what you're, the way you're allowed to move. And for a lot of people that fosters them back to, to the natural way of moving instead of, you know, cause when you put a pillow on your foot, your brain takes that into account and lets you do move in certain ways that you wouldn't be allowed to otherwise. So, and then bringing it to today, what's your running like today? You said that you start every day with a run and what kind of shoes do you run in and, and how have you, you know, how's your relationship with running um, today? Yeah, so so I you know nowadays um, not nowadays I, I I would say that I, I run six days a week. Uh, usually I take off uh, t today, so Wednesday. Um, I I uh, I like to rest, and and I and I realize that you know for me I could probably you know, a lot of people who run, um, who run seriously or who run as a lifestyle will run seven days a week. And, and for me, I, I think that's something that I'm physically capable of, but I, I really enjoy the, the kind of mental reset of, of having one day in the week where I just, where I don't run. Um, and I, and I go out for a long walk with the dog in the morning or, you know, something like that. Um, and so for me, kind of just having that one day a week, uh, as, as no running is, is important. Um, but that's, you know, I, I digress. And so as far as, as far as how much running, um, I, I, I've found that I, I do pretty well with about 55 to 65 miles a week or so. So probably around a hundred kilometers a week. Um, that, that, wow. that does, uh, that my, my body uh, does pretty well with that. Um, people who are experienced runners, some might say that's, you know, that's low mileage, uh, for people who don't run a lot, they'll say that that's, that sounds like a lot of mileage. Um, but for me, uh, that's, that's kind of where I've, where I've settled in. And, and, and one of the things that, that I think is, is an important consideration for people who are running is that, is that the, you know, the body doesn't discriminate when it comes to stress. And so you can see, you know, professional runners or, you know, people who, who might be on, 
I don't know if you're familiar with Strava, um, but Strava is this, uh, basically it's social media for, for athletes. And, and it, you know, it, it's, it's a place where, you know, you, you can log all your runs and, um, you know, you can kind of put up descriptions, pictures, things like that. It shows a GPS tracing of your runs and you can just kind of follow, you know, how your friends are doing, you know, how much, you know, what did they, what did your friend run today? Where'd they go? That kind of thing. And, um, and so, and so if you, you know, if you look at, uh, if, if you look at other, other runs, Runners, you know, you might be following a professional runner and they're running 120 miles a week, you know, 100 and, you know, 160 kilometers, 200 kilometers a week. And, and you might think like, geez, what's, what's wrong with me that I can't do that. And, and, you know, one, one part is that, that you don't run, you know, that, that you haven't come up in a system where you've just been graduating to that level of, uh, of running that volume of running over many, many years. But the other part of it is that you probably have a day job. You probably have a family, yeah. you probably have kids, you have all these other things that, that are, that are taxing your body and your, 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 your body's, you know, ability to manage stress, um, in, in, in other ways. And so, you know, I guess that's one, one thing that for me, you know, with, with the stresses of, of work and, and having kids and all these other things, you know, I, I, the, the numbers that work for me, um, might be a little bit different than numbers that work for other people. But, uh, yeah, but I find that probably somewhere around a hundred kilometers a week, that's, that's, uh, that's where I, where I'm, where I'm at at the moment. Um, and as far as, uh, what I run in, I, I've, <laughs> I, I, I used to be, uh, kind of a shoe, uh, a sh- you know, when I, before I was a, a foot nerd, I was, I was kind of a shoe nerd. Um, I, that's another thing that I kind of <laughs> share in common with, with Jeff is so that am I. He, and Jeff, yeah, he, yeah, I was just going to say Jeff. He used to, you know, obviously, you know, he was collecting, um, you know, basketball shoes and, and, you know, uh, you know, things like that. But I, I, I had a, a large and, and vast collection of, of running shoes. Um, most of, most of which have, have long since been donated or, uh, you know, or passed on to, to other runners or things like that. Um, nowadays I, I, I pretty much run in, in three things. Um, I have a pair of road, uh, Vibram five fingers that I, that I run in. Uh, my current pair has, um, has, let's see, over, over 1500 miles on them. So that'd be, uh, wow. you know, that, that'd be, that'd be, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't even know how many, how many kilometers that would be, uh, probably 2,500 kilometers on, on them. Um, cool. and, uh, I put a little bit of shoe goo on the bottom every now and then if a, if a spot starts wearing a bit thin on the rubber outsole, but, but other than that, um, they're, 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 they're good as new. Uh, I have a similar pair of, of, uh, five fingers that I run trails in. Um, and if things get a little bit more, uh, rocky or a bit rough underfoot on trails, I, I actually have a pair of sandals that I run in. Um, from from a company that's uh, that's now located in in Montana. Um, they had been in California, but they're now in Montana called Bedrock. Um, and so, so yeah, so that's uh, that's that's what I run in. Um, and uh, and then um, I, I do have one pair of kind of proper shoes, so to speak, that I run in <laughs> uh, that, that I that I that I fall back to when it's super icy outside. So uh, in in the in the in in the Midwest here, we get. A lot of ice, a lot of snow in the winter, as uh, as you do in, in Ottawa. Um, and yeah. when that happens, uh, and, I, and I still feel that I need to get outside and run, um, I, I will put on a pair of these uh, things. That are, they're, it's it's a company called Salming, S A L M I N G. Uh, they're in uh, they're a Swedish company that that makes a shoe called an Ice Spike. And so basically, it's just a a pretty standard looking running shoe with um, with tungsten carbide spikes in the in the uh, in the outsole, and um, and and that provides incredible traction and uh and confidence on on icy surfaces if you're running on roads or trails in the, in the winter and so 
so those are those are my uh, those are my 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 real shoe, so to speak. If uh, if I actually need to use one, but otherwise it's it's the minimal stuff, and and that's what keeps my body happy, and that's what keeps me uh, really really enjoying uh, the day to day of running. Very cool. Yeah, that's a that's a good arsenal, and uh, and I love how you. I mean, you don't need that many shoes, and the beautiful thing is, you know, fifteen hundred miles on a pair of shoes. People will be like, oh, that's a lot, or you should replace them. It's like. Well, when you don't have a bunch of crap wedged between your foot and the ground that can break down and go all wonky, there's really not that much apart from just the rubber outsole wearing down. And P.S., if you move well, you're not creating that much friction there. So I've had friends that um, have transitioned into minimal running shoes and they're like, yeah, I don't, I don't know when I should replace my shoes. Like I'm not getting any indicators that I should be doing that. And we just have conversations where it's like, yeah, if all you're doing is putting something on your foot to protect it, when the protection wears down, you need to replace it. But if you're running well and you're really light on your feet, you're not really wearing through it that quickly. So it's, it's interesting. And, and I love what you said about self-regulation too, because you're right. There is, you have, you know, I like the stress cup analogy where every day you have this cup and when it's filled to the brim, that means you've had kind of the limit of your stress. And, you know, if you have a really stressful day at work or, or you have a lot of like, um, you know, interactions with people in your relationships that have created a bit of stress that day, maybe it's not an idea to do what your running program says. Maybe it's a good idea to just see how you feel or auto-regulate and be like, you know what, I'm supposed to do this run today, but I think I just need to recover. And I think people going based on intuition and how they feel instead of just being rigid based on their program is a very, very important skill to have um, as an athlete. And the highest, highest level athletes will tell you the exact same thing. I mean, obviously they have like you said, pros have way more structure in their day because that is their job. Um, but in general, you know, people just, and I love what you said, where your body doesn't discriminate stressors, right? It doesn't know that running is any different than any other significant stressor in your life, like a project deadline or lack of sleep. So um, just going based on how you feel is very, very important. So hopefully people kind of take that um, and are able to figure out how that can be incorporated into their own, uh, into their own training. Um, yeah. yeah. Great, great running story, man. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Thanks for asking. No worries. So, um, so we'll get on to two more things. The next one I want to talk about is just having a macro level view of health in general. So, you know, health right now is a, it's a pretty big problem in general, uh, which is becoming even more apparent with the current situation. And the fact that, you know, if you have poor health, you're probably going to be more at risk. Um, if something like a virus hits you. And so, you know, just as a thought experiment, if, you know, the leader of the United States comes to you and says, Mark, we got a big health problem. We don't know how to fix it. And we heard you're the man to go talk to. So you have full authority to do whatever you think is best. Where do you start? You know, at a really high level without getting into the nitty gritty. And this is just a thought experiment, but where do you start? Like, where do you, as someone deeply involved in the medical system with a pretty broad understanding of health, where do you see the big issues are and, um, you know, thoughts on just how do we start getting the train back on the right tracks? Yeah. So, you know, let me, let me, let me preface this by saying that, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I'm just, obviously I'm just one person. Uh, I just have one opinion and, and as much as my, uh, as much as my training and, and experience, I think give me some insight on this, uh, on this subject. Uh, I, I'd be I'd be remiss not to not to not, not to at least mention that you know obviously my 
my perspective is is just one um and and i and i've been known to i've been known to have some opinions that are a little bit controversial <laughs> when it comes to these things and so That's i will okay. i will i will make it clear that my opinions are are not those of my employer or of uh <laughs> of any 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 specialty societies or, or anything like that they're they're yeah. exclusively mine. yeah and so and so with that with that being said um I, I think, and, and you and I, again, have, have talked about this in the past. I, I, I think the biggest issue is, is where the incentives are. And, yeah. and you and I, you know, I, I think we, at least in the past, have agreed on the fact that, you know, right now, I, I would say that as the, the system is broken and it's easy, to, it's easy to point fingers. It's easy to say, you know, doctors are greedy, insurance companies are greedy, uh, you know, what, whatever. And it, what it all boils down to is that, you know, if, if we if we take a step back, most of us can agree, or most of us, I think, are of the mind that that human beings in general are are, are good. We're, we're good yes. people. We're, we have good intentions, and everybody, you know, wants the best not only for ourselves but but for for everyone else as well. And so, this is a this is a, a you know a, a place where you know you have to understand not only that people have the best of intentions, but there are also, there are also the follies of human nature, right? And so if you set up incentives in such a way as to incentivize people to do things that are not necessarily in the interest of the most people, yeah. self-preservation at some point steps in and kind of overrides that selflessness or overrides that that you know that that desire to 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 take care of other people as well and so i guess the 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 sort of convoluted and and serpiginous route that i'm that i'm following here is that the problem is one of incentives in my opinion if you have to break it down to one word to one concept it's incentives and and at the end of the day we all want to eat we all want to have a home we all want to you know enjoy a comfortable life uh and unfortunately the way in our modern society to achieve that is 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 with money we 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 need to unfortunately we need to be able to pay for these things and when your reimbursement as a physician or as a uh any type of health care uh provider when when you're when your reimbursement is so closely tied to volumes and numbers and things like that rather than the quality of the care that you provide again, it's only human nature that you're going to, you know, you're, you're going to look out in the, in the best interest of your own self-preservation. And so that's where, you know, when I talk about incentives, it's mostly financial incentives. And in today's modern healthcare machine, especially in the United States, incentives are very closely tied to volume. And so I'm um, going back to that, you know, this, that, that, that concept of, of quality versus quantity, I, I think we've erred too long, too far uh, in the direction of quantity rather than quality. Yeah, that's a, that is a p- great point. And I couldn't agree more. I think there's, you know, the way I think about it in my brain, and I love the point that you made where it's not the players in the system that are the problem. It is not the doctors. And I don't even think it's necessarily the insurance companies because those players are just playing the game. And if the game's rules are flawed and broken, then the players are able to, you know, play the game in whatever way suits them best, which like you said, every doctor that I know goes into that profession, every health professional wants to help people. And they see that that route, whether it's a physio, chiro, massage therapist, doctor, that route that they choose is the way in which they feel best prepared to be able to help people. And I think, like you said, when we have an incentive system, 
that aligns financial incentives with treatment instead of outcomes, then essentially, like, we can't be surprised with getting where we are when those are the rules of the game. So instead of punishing the players or trying to focus on the superficial stuff, which I agree 100%, it's easy to poke holes from the sidelines, but it's harder to actually suggest or find ways to improve the system if we change the rules of the game, if we address the game theory flaws with health in general. Um, then I really think that that essentially changes everyone's systemic behavior without even having to go to the individuals. We change the centralized structure and that, that can be, and I really think that we can do that. We can put financial incentives. I remember hearing this story about doctors in China. I'm not sure if this is true. And I don't think it's like more, but basically as a doctor, you're in charge of a certain group of people. Let's say a thousand people. That is group that you're in charge of. And your financial um, payment was based on the health of those people. So the more times they need to come see you and the sicker they were, the less you got paid. And so your incentive, if you were a very effective physician and kept everyone healthy, well, guess what? You got paid more to do less because you were being effective. And I think we need to reward effectiveness instead of rewarding treatment because that essentially takes away any incentive whatsoever to get people better. And I think you know, the point where we're at now is that physicians are being overwhelmed with this tsunami of people with constantly increasing numbers of health problems. And I think the other prong of this solution in terms of solving the health problem at a macro level is how we educate health, modern health professionals, right? We, like I was educated to diagnose and treat problems. I was not educated to re-empower people to take care of themselves. And I think that realignment of we need to understand health in a broad sense, we need to understand the lifestyle factors that allow people to reclaim responsibility for their health. Because if you're a physician and you feel responsible for tons of people's health and they're not doing anything to help their own health, it is going to be a super stressful and very frustrating process. Um, and so I think there's just so many, there's so many options and so many opportunities. And I really, I'm a firm believer that the biggest problems present the biggest opportunities and health right now, especially with where technology is and our ability to reach people with information that can empower them to really just have a better understanding of how their bodies work so that they come to the physician for guidance on where to get the information that they put into action, not to go there for the solution. Um, yeah, but I can't agree more. The incentive part is like this fundamental part where, until we fix that, I don't care how much we try and patch up the ship. It's like, it's going to implode and sink if we don't fix that. Um, so anyway, I'm excited to pick up that conversation in the future again, because I really, we could probably talk for several hours about that. I was, was going to say, yeah, that's a, <laughs> that is a Pandora's <laughs> box for sure. Yeah. yeah, we'll pick it up again, definitely. And I'd love to do another podcast because it's, um, I, this is a very, I really like your perspectives because you have a lot of unique things. Um, in terms of that it contributed to your experience to be able to, you know, talk about these things. Um, I won't take up too much more of your time, but I'd like to finish podcast now with talking to people about um, keystone habits and, you know, keystone habit is basically a habit that's an impact multiplier on all of your other habits. So like the most important habits that you have um, that trickle into all of your other habits and, and elevate them. So what are some keystone habits that you've got? And are there any habits right now that you're trying to install or uninstall? Um, and, uh, and yeah, if you can expand on that, that'd be interesting. Yeah, sure. No, this is, this actually a very, uh, it's a very timely, um, timely question, <laughs> question for me. And, and that gets into the, uh, the uninstallation of habits, uh, discussion. And I'll, 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 I'll 
defer that for just a minute. Um, as far as as far as things that uh, that I find to be habits for me that are that are, that are helpful. Um, th- honestly, a lot of it is stuff that's been discussed on this podcast uh, in, in the past, and <clears throat> like one of those is is setting a setting a, a, a wake up time, a constant wake up time every single day. And so for me, um, I'm up at five o'clock every morning, and nice. and that's five uh, a.m. That, club. Yeah, five a.m. and and for me, uh, that's either you know that's on weekdays, weekends, uh, holidays, uh, vacations, you name it. it. It that's across the board. I get up at five o'clock because that's when I start my day. I want my biology to get you know synced and and to re- recognize that as the beginning of the day. And and that consistency is is really really helpful for me. Um, whether I'm running in the morning, if it's a long run, if it's a short run, um, if I'm not running at all, it doesn't matter. I'm I'm up at five and I can fill that time. If I if I'm not running, I I can find like I said, I can walk the dog. I've got things to do around the house. There's no problem for me uh, to fill that time and so um <clears throat> so for me uh, a, a you know a, a standard wake-up time is a really important habit and one that i've found is uh, it just it just makes it a lot easier it's it's there's no decision fatigue involved there you don't have to think like uh, should i sleep in a little bit tomorrow should i you know try to no I, i'm up at five and that's the end of the right. story um and so there's that uh on the flip side or the converse of that is is sleep you know um having kids it, it makes it a little bit harder to say i'm definitely going to go to sleep at this time um having the job that i have uh, there there's there's nights that i work um and and things like that and so having having that uh, as a bit of a disruptor is is you know that that is what it is but when i have control over it um and again sort of from a you know rules of thumb or uh heuristic standpoint control the controllables. Um, I, when I have control over it, I like to be in bed, uh, you know, at nine o'clock, um, you know, to, to give myself that eight hour window of sleep uh, that, that I need to, uh, to, to, to be at my best. And so um, that, that's another, that's another habit that I find uh, that I find useful. Another is, is uh, just everyday, everyday movement. Um, you know, again, uh, preaching to the choir uh, with, with this, uh, with this podcast. But for me, I, I, I spend at least five to 10 minutes every day on my beam. Um, that's, that's non-negotiable. That's something that I do every single day and I really, really enjoy it. Um, it's, 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 uh, it's a simple thing that goes a long way, especially for me as a runner, my hips used to be so tight, my groin so tight. And I was doing all these stretches, all these mobilizations, all these other things. And I would spend 10 or 15 minutes a day on those things and see almost no results. I spend five minutes on my beam and all of a sudden all these problems are, you know, are, are gone. And, and, and to me, that's not, that's not a coincidence. Um, there's something about it that adds value to me, uh, as a human being, just trying to clear my mind and spend some time, you know, w- you know, using my, using my, my balance and vestibular system and whatever, but it also adds value to me as a runner because for whatever reason, I've become a lot more durable and a lot more, uh, you know, a, 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 just, I, I feel a lot better just by committing those five minutes every day to, to, to strengthening those little stabilizing muscles that, uh, that help you stay on a beam. Um, and then, uh, and I guess my last thing that I would say, uh, is, is meditation. So I do a 10 minute kind of walking meditation every night with my dog. So we go out for, uh, go for a walk. He does his, uh, takes his biology break. Um, and I, and I'm, and as, as he's, as he's doing that, I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm going through a, a meditation. I use the calm app. Um, I, I do that. Uh, it's just the, the meditation of the day, uh, 10 minutes and, um, think about the things that 
I have to be grateful for, which is a lot of things. And, um, and, and that's just, uh, that, that kind of helps clear my mind and get me, uh, get me ready for bed. Um, and so, so that's, uh, those are some of the habits that I, I, I find helpful and, and that have been really, really key for me, um, in, uh, in, in just sort of day-to-day life. And then I think as I somewhat, uh, alluded earlier, I, I, as far as things I need to uninstall, um, I have developed a terrible habit of, of eating in front of my iPad. And so, um, I'll be, you know, flipping through things on, on the iPad, reading, you know, check out, oh, I'm just going to check ESPN.com quick, or oh, I'm just going to check Strava quick. You know, the thing I mentioned before about, you know, that shows what people have done, you know, if they've gone for a run, a bike ride, whatever today, just want to see, check on my buddies, see what their run looked like today. Um, you know, looking at, uh, you know, checking the weather, you know, these other things. And so for me, yeah, I, I, I've realized that that has taken me out of the moment um, when it comes to being mindful with my eating uh, and, and, and other things, you know, when, when you're at home, especially with, with, with kids, like th- th- there is no, there is no such thing as personal time, you know? And so, <laughs> and, and so, and so for me, uh, you know, I've realized that since putting the iPad away, not only am I enjoying, you know, my dinners more and, and things like that, but, you know, the, the, the kids, you know, just kind of hearing the noise of the life around me and, and hearing, you know, the babbling of the baby in the background. And then, the, you know, hearing the other two girls fighting over who gets to play with this doll or that one or whatever, you know, it, it just, you, 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 you again, it sort of brings, back, brings me back into the present and helps me understand that, you know, everything is transient. Everything is temporary enjoy this meal, enjoy this moment, enjoy this day, because tomorrow, those girls are going to be a little bit bigger tomorrow, you know, especially, you know, who knows what's going on with all this virus stuff, like the, the yeah. world changes every single day. So, so enjoy, enjoy each bite, uh, <laughs> put the, put the iPad away. So that's, that's amazing, dude, that was, those are great habits. And I, I think it's a common trend and people have conversations with both on the podcast and off um, that one of the biggest keystone habits is that regularity of waking up at the same time. And there's something about waking up at 5 a.m. where you have this cushion of time where it's, it's space for you. Um, and whether you're walking the dog or doing something, you know, there's not, the world is still, I always tell people, I wake up because the world is still sleeping and I have space where my brain just knows this is time where I can focus on shit that matters to me or that I want to accomplish without having any distractions. Um, and I also think there's something really primitive and satisfying with about walking with a canine. I don't know what it is. I still don't know how to explain it. But when I go for a walk, um, my childhood uh, pet is a big German shepherd. He's like a 110-pound German shepherd. He lives with my brother now. But whenever I go for a walk with him in the morning, there is something very weird with the connection that you have with an animal when you're walking with it, like, like especially with a dog. Um, so I can definitely relate how to how that's a form of meditation. I, I really think it is. Um, and, uh, and I just think it's so cool that, you know, I always like to ask people what habits are uninstalling because people who are mindful and examine the way they live instantly know I'm uninstalling this, this, and this. And just knowing what you're trying to uninstall is literally the biggest key to uninstalling. It's just being aware because the definition of habit is most of the time things you do that you don't even think of. So really by identifying something you're trying to uninstall, you've basically identified a behavior, not really a habit because now you're aware of it. Um, and then you can go through the sequence, however hard it might be, which that's the thing about habits. The longer you've been running that program, the harder it is to uninstall it. Um, but I think it's a really important thing for people to just hear because we all have shit that we do that we know we shouldn't be doing. I have stuff every day that I'm like, oh, still doing this. And it's just a matter, it's not a matter of, you know, being 
mean to yourself for doing things you know you shouldn't be doing. It's more a matter of, okay, I just haven't figured out what the cue is that's causing me to do this behavior. So I just got to keep figuring it out. And life is a game of figuring it out. Um, anyway, Mark, this has honestly been one of my favorite podcasts, actually, hearing your perspective on things like running and health um, and just everything and how you came uh, to be connected with the Footner program. So thank you so much for doing this. I really look forward to the next one we do. And we could almost have like Mark talk uh, as a show because I, I, you're like made for podcasting. Don't, you're don't, just, don't, tell you're my, very don't tell my wife that. <laughs> yeah, I won't. We'll keep it a secret. Um, yeah, she she suffers. She suffers. Mark talk every day. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so maybe she won't listen to this one. Um, anyway, thank you so much, Mark. I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to everyone out there listening. Thank you for listening. I hope that this stuff benefited you in some way. Um, and uh, I'll definitely be back with another nerd talk with Mark, and we'll pick some cool topics to talk about, and maybe even start surveying what things do people want to hear about. Um, and then we can do a little bit of research and have a conversation. So uh, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you guys next week.